right. So as you all know, I, I, I come to this podcast often prepared with with a blazing talking point. A real hot take right out the gate. Yeah, or an hilarious anecdote. A humorous uh, a humorous thing that you have observed in the world and put your unique spin upon. Observational humor. Is this your way of saying you did not come with that this week? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid I, I don't understand the question, sir. <laughs> Ah, uh, is is this where we realise that this show falls apart if Jim didn't come up with a weird non sequitur at the start? Because I, I don't know if me or Comrade have got it in us. Comrade, have you got a weird non sequitur you reckon you can spin up to make it seem like it was planned and, and choreographed? No, unlikely. But on the flip side, it is almost invariably awkward every time. So we're still running with the theme. I suppose so. Yeah. You know, and at least this way, it's easier to get from this into, hey, we're a video game podcast called Podquisition. We tell you whether your favorite video games are great or perfect. It's easier to transition from this into that than it is from a whole thing about eggs or whatever i'm feeling very attacked right now (laughs) laura i'm i mean to be honest i don't feel safe here Ah. i already had to wait for an egg mcmuffin this morning and now this and that was definitely because you know the prejudice against you Because I'm a world-famous policeman. I am a bobby with a bobby's helmet, and I have a stick, and I hold it behind my back, and I go, hello, 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 and I do a little bow when I do it, and I go, hello, 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 and then I say, keep that fucking noise down, and then I brandish my stick, and I chase them, and I've got that big leather overcoat like they used to have, and I use that to whip at them. That's what bobbies used to do. When you do that, does it play the Benny Hill theme? Because I assume it has to play the Benny Hill theme when you start chasing them with the truncheon. Probably. At least I'm trying while running. It's not a pretty sight because both of those things require oxygen. <laughs> so I'm running after, I'm running after a perp going. I'm not even running. And oh god, oh, oh no. I've got a stitch. You know, and this is why we need to invest more money into police forces, because you know, if you were properly <laughs> equipped with a, you know, a little boom box strapped to your back that could play the Benny Hill theme whenever you had to chase a perp, you'd be much more effective in the field. I've got a stitch. <laughs> I've got a stitch. Uh, if, I- if, if I whack him with my leather cape now... It's their fault. If if only we had purchased an electric scooter and a boombox for you, Jim, the police officer, then everything would have been fine. That's what my granddad said they used to do anyway, is that they had big heavy heavy leather coats, and if they caught you fucking about, they would just whack you with it. That'd probably hurt. Probably. Apparently, he made it sound like they were designed that way, which, given what we know about the police, yeah. Yeah. That seems right. They probably had, like, little hooks inside as well. Yeah, just little fish hooks. Little tiny hooks. Just sewn into the lining. Yep. Fucking. I just watched a cop car go past my house. Fucking cops. Oh, God. Fuck fuck off, cops. Yeah. You know what? Sometimes when I see when I see a cop like walk past the building, I I hide un- under the window and then whisper into my hand, "Fuck off, cop!" <gasps> and in my way, in my way, I have fought as a warrior would fight 
And, and I will drink my fine meat in Valhalla. There's this medium post that's going around, supposedly written by a former police officer that sort of outlines the systemic issues in the system. It's a really good read. Is, is this the one that's basically like, hey, here's what happens if you try and speak up about what your other officers are doing? Yeah. Well, not, and and not just that, but you know, but yeah. but yeah, a lot of the sort of general problems within the policing system that you know make police this way. It's not necessarily that police have to be this way. It's that we train them in in killology and make them feel perpetually threatened. Warrior training is a legit name of a thing that American police get, where it's like, oh yeah, we will send you to seminars where we teach you about how like. Every person you come across is the enemy and you are the the superhero with the weapon that will beat down the villains that you come across. Be prepared to fucking beat their faces in. Well, I mean, I know a second ago you heard me say killology and that probably sounded like a silly, stupid thing. And it is, is but that a thing it too? is a legitimate term. No, I, knew, I knew about warrior training, didn't know about killology. It's worth pointing out that the, the teacher of warrior training... Uh, David Grossman. It's his science. Yeah, it's his science, his, his methods of teaching cops how to kill. And just for any of like the gamers TM who have been very offended recently by me, you know, by my suggestions that the cops aren't on the level, um, I just do want to point out that when the Trump administration decided to blame uh, school shootings on video games, uh, Grossman was there to advise on that. So... This warrior training guy who is training cops to think like killers literally tells them to think like they're going to have to kill someone and, and gusses them up for it, uh, is also um, blaming gun violence on video games. So he's also trying to take your video games away uh, for those who are, you know, concerned about that. Those of you who needed a reason to, to, to you know, to care about this, it affects you too. And it's, it's an incredible hypocrisy. I guess my question to those people is, what's more important to you? Comrade, don't ask that. You know the answers there, fucking video games. Or your cops. There's a reason why I address that certain subset of gamers. Um... You know, for whom, yes, the answer is, is games. <laughs> Defo, defos. I mean, I mean, and, and it, you know, you can't entirely blame individuals when that is exactly what this, what this country has told us, is that the products are what's important. Mm -hmm. That's been beaten into people's heads. It's, it's the property that is the real victim in all of this. Oh, everywhere. Coronavirus, the, the Black Lives Matter protests, the real victims are a shock. Yeah, oh, oh no, this mega national corporation is going to have to file some insurance forms to get some stuff back. Oh no. I mean, I mean I'll just say that the video game Homefront should have prepared these companies better because as we all know they were enemies at the hooters in homefront <laughs> so you know all i'll say is this if if a hooters has gotten damaged this year that's on hooters they knew <laughs> they knew thq had told them so we gave you the warning signs keep your fucking eye out mate um, well, where were we going with this? Oh, I played Battlefield Hardline this week. I forgot to mention that. I forgot to put that on, on our list before we recorded. Ah, you played, you played that, that shooty video game. Yeah. How'd that go? Um, 
in one of the early cutscenes, uh, they're talking about police corruption, and literally one of them puts it down to a few bad apples. Oh. Which, given the compilations I've seen lately of cops saying that phrase, um, struck me as particularly poignant. Um, but look, you can shoot everyone with no consequence as a police officer, but you do get a bit more XP if you arrest them. So, so it's like real. Wow, the level of realism in Battlefield yeah. Hardline. I didn't realize it was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's basically if you play Battlefield Hardline, you play it and you think if this was at all critical. This could be an amazing video game. No consequences for killing, but better career advancement for arrests. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, and if if any of that worked towards an end for the game, then that could be incredible, but it's it's just shoot them, please. <laughs> that's that's what the game should have been called. Battlefield, just shoot, please. If there had been narrative intent behind that mechanical design, it could have yeah. really been something. If, you know, if they'd have gone a little bit spec ops with it, at least. Um, uh, it's, it's got crocodiles in it. There's a bit where you're in the, in the bayou and there's alligators because you've got to tag all the drugs that are there. I, I mean, it's just a it's just a commentary on how we expect our police to just be a blunt instrument to solve all social problems, isn't it? I mean, where's the animal control person oh. that we send in to deal with the alligator along with the cop? That's a very good question, comrade, that we should be asking not only, you know, the hosts of this podcast, but also people with power to change things. If you stab an alligator in the top bit of its mouth, does it instantly die? Is its, is its brain in front of its eyes or not? See, you know who doesn't know the answer to that? Cops. You know who does know the answer to that? Animal control people who aren't cops who maybe would be better suited to that situation. I mean, here's the thing, Laura Kate Dale investigative journalist, <laughs> right? Here's the thing. The cop in this game knew damn well what would happen. <laughs> And, and she killed the alligator good by stabbing it in the top bit of its mouth. I thought the alligator would just be like, ow, but no, instantly dead. No, not even a moment of protest, which I guess is how cops like it. Are you suggesting cops don't like protest? <gasps> so many revelations today. I don't know. I mean, they seem to hold a, a few counter riots. <laughs> oh. Welcome to Podquisition. Right, yeah, yeah, th yeah. that's... That's that, because I really, I just can't, I can't think about it anymore. There's a statue in town, and it's a thing. And um, yeah. just, we're good. Yeah. How about some video games? We are not taking down that statue of the thing. It's the dog <laughs> version. It's the best one. My my favorite suggestion I've seen so far is take down all the statues and replace them with um that one town that has the really buff statue of Mothman with the really good ass. Mm. Just put that mm -hmm. up everywhere. Every town yeah. can have a really buff Mothman statue. All I'll say is five... Confederate statues could be smelted down to make one statue of me, which we can put in the middle of Times Square so that all may come and adore and sing Hazana Hosanna. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, sold. I'm sold. So who's played a video game this week? Who's done one of them? <laughs> I love the implication <laughs> that Battlefield Hardline isn't. <laughs> I mean, do you have anything you want to say about that video game? To be honest, 
I'd, I'd rather remember it as the candlestick that did in Visceral Games in the Billiards Room rather than a video game in its own right. So I think that's all I've got to say about that. Mm. Laura, I'd kind of like to get any conversation about The Last of Us 2 just, like, out of the way. Because I'm interested, but I'm also never going to play it. Oh, that's totally fair. I'm going to keep this, like, super spoiler-free for people, because obviously the day this goes up, the game isn't out yet. Yeah, I haven't played it. I didn't ask for a review copy because... Because of my social anxiety, I just knew how awkward it would be after I've, like, proper laid into Naughty Dog. So I'm like, I've got a budget for, like, games I just know no one's going to fucking want to give me. And then the ones where I know they're just going to, they're going to make me feel really weird about it. I asked for code in advance on this, but only because I wanted to check out the accessibility stuff in time for release day, because I've been really interested in that. So, um... Very, very, very vague uh, discussions of, of of the earliest of possible early plot things. Playing the start of this game has reminded me why I didn't ever really want a sequel to the original Last of Us. Right, that's that's a big pushback I had when it was announced. Like, you, it's a sequel you knew was coming because businesses. Yeah, but narratively, no justification. That that was my initial feeling because, like, literally second one of this game, it goes. Hey, remember what happened at the end of The Last of Us 1? Huh? That sure was a choice that was made. There will probably be repercussions for that, huh? Anyway, like, it it felt very much like it wanted to remind you of that good thing it did at the start, at the end of the last one. I'd, I'd kill for a video game that opens with a character just saying that. Yeah. Just looking at the camera and <laughs> saying it and then moving swiftly on. I, I mean... <laughs> It gets past that. Within its first hour or two, it does manage to sort of set up what what it wants its story to be. Because obviously, like, the original Last of Us, I think, to a certain degree, was a story about trying to be hopeful in a very bad situation. It was, there's this possible ray of light, and if we can maybe get through all of this horribleness, there'll be something lovely. You know, maybe there'll be a happy ending at the other end. There'll be a giraffe. There'll be a giraffe. And I, I'm kind of loath to knock them for including that, hey, remember yeah, what we yeah, did last no. time? Because I do feel like this is, well, for one thing, sequels perform better than the first game in a series. There are going to people be people coming to this for the first time. Yeah. And I think for a character-driven drama like The Last of Us, not having the uh, the exposition to establish what came before would be a... Huge misstep. Honestly, I think they do a really good job of getting all of the important narrative beats and cutting out all of the chaff and going, look, here's the crux of Joel and Ellie's relationship and what where that ended up, mm-hmm. and then throws you into what could otherwise... You could have just jumped into as a standalone story. And I think it, it handles that fairly well. But right. yeah, where, where the original Last of Us is very much like, here is this light at the end of the tunnel. It's going to be a horrible journey, but that's there. At least at the start, The Last of Us 2 feels like it is very much not that. It is, a, it is it is a game about people struggling with feelings of anger and fury that they don't know how to productively deal with. And the idea of revenge begets revenge begets revenge. On a very basic level, that sort of seems to be the story structure at the start is things you do... F- Things you do will have consequences and people might, you know, try and seek revenge for that, but then someone might seek revenge on them. It's, it's, anger is a very cyclical thing. 
And that seems... There's no, like, here's the, the optimistic objective right now. Mechanically and visually, fucking gorgeous video game. Much like The Last of Us when it came out on PS3 was like, ah, this is technically a very impressive game that shows what this hardware can do. This is very much hitting hitting that same note. In, like, the last year of that generation, more or less, yeah. like, this again. It's just interesting how that panned out, like, how that mimics that. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's it's once again we've worked out finally how to really use the hardware. Time to move on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's that's not weird. No, There's nothing no. unusual about that. That last year of of stuff in a console's life cycle is almost invariably cream of the crop. But then you know it winds up being the disappointment when it's ported over to the new one. <laughs> um, yeah. I I. I don't want to say too much else, partially because I'm like, I'm pretty early in the narrative and I don't want to spoil it because it is such a narratively driven game. Um, the thing I want to talk about more than like the, anything else in this game is those accessibility features I was talking about last week. Mm-hmm. I successfully played the first hour of this game blindfolded with zero visual input. It was not easy and I have my complaints about it, but it is it is playable with zero visual input and that is damn impressive. I mean... Yeah, that's a fuck sight better than almost everything. Certainly mainstream. Well, and when you consider that you're coming from a place of normally having sight. Yeah. And not being accustomed to not having sight. Yeah, as as someone who for this is like, I'm I'm not used to that. I still managed to get through the first hour of the game without too much trouble. So like, that is a very good sign for a lot of people. That's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. not nothing. So like, to, 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 to summarize like my experience trying to play this game from like from first boot up with no visual input the very first thing the game does is it brings up a menu that goes hey would you like text to speech on it reads that out to you and it says press x if you want text to speech you press it the rest of the accessibility menu you can now navigate like that's before any other buttons is do you want text to speech so we can set up the accessibility features uh if you then set the uh it's the vision preset i think it's called uh, it sets up like a bunch of settings for you for a single button. Um, the the bulk of it, if you've got zero visual input, um, by clicking the left analog stick in, the game will orient you so it's pointing you towards whichever direction you need to go to to hit the next objective. It's not pointing you as the crow flies, but it's clearly route planning. Like this road would, this line would get you there. Will point you in that direction. So some kind of like a node based yeah, pathfinding. Yeah. So yeah. typically, the if you're just trying to get from point to point and you're not trying to explore anything, um, hold forward on the analog stick while clicking it in from time to time, and it will sort of give you audio and vibration cues of like, okay, you've turned this direction to sort of give you an indication of how you're moving through that world. You've got the listen feature that was a thing in the first Last of Us, where you sort of hold down a button and usually you'll see like where clickers are in, in space and things like that. For visually impaired players, it's got two other options where you can press, uh, hold that button and I think it's square or circle, and it will do a radar ping for enemies that are nearby or items that are nearby. And then that left uh, L3 trigger, uh, the L3 push, will start leading you on a course to the last thing you pinged. So if you're like, I know there's enemies around, two buttons, I've pinged the nearest enemy. Uh, I can now sort of 
forward with the left stick and click and it will sort of bring me on a route towards that enemy and give me an audio cue when I'm in range to strike it. It does a lot of really smart stuff with different distinct audio cues for various things it might be prompting you to do, such as uh, you need to go prone now, uh, there's something here to pick up, you need to mash the button now. Um, all of that stuff, it, it has its own like individual sounds and the more you play, you start to pick up more instinctively, that's what it's that's what it's cluing me into. Uh, I think you swipe up on the touchpad, and it will give you a readout of all of the stuff, like how much ammo have you got, um, how much have you got in reserve, what's your health at, like your user interface stuff. It's just a swipe away. Uh, and and on t- when you're doing actual combat, if you want to do gunshots and things, it will either do degrees of automation of like aiming your shot. It can totally aim the shot for you as long as you're within a certain range. So. You could use that sneaking method I said before and then hold down the, the the aim trigger and it'll just aim on the enemy ready for you. It is totally possible to do the vast majority of that game's inputs and get through the narrative uh, without any trouble. There's a few places I do have some, some, some gripes and they are minor things and they are things that could definitely be improved in future and maybe even with an update. Uh, the first is while the game is very good in broad strokes in getting you where you need to go, it's not very good at getting you to very specific points at the end of a line. If I, I don't know how to explain this better. Let's say you've got to walk through town and open a door. Uh, it's very good at getting you through town and to the door, but you might be just a tiny bit off of, like, you might be facing slightly the wrong way, or you might not be quite on the door, and, like... It has some context sensitivity problems, yeah. It, yeah. it, it has some problems with, like, helping you to orient yourself towards where you need to be to hit a very specific prompt. Like, I wish it would... If you were within a certain range of that prompt and you hit it, it would just orient you and do it yeah and and that's not a huge issue it popped up maybe twice in the first hour of play where i was like i can hear i've reached my destination i can hear that there's an interactable right near me i'm just having to kind of spin in circles for a a few seconds to find it uh which was certainly not like it didn't make the game unplayable it's i could have done with a you know might have been helpful to have a second person to go it's just to your left Secondly, and this is the one that seems weirdest considering this game's ridiculously good accessibility features, the game doesn't have any kind of, uh, what's the term, um, audio descriptions? And this feels like such a weird oversight. Um, so any on-screen text is read to you through text-to-speech. That's great. You've got all of the, the dialogue of the cutscenes. But it could really do with just occasionally giving you a little bit of extra context of what's happening in the scene, such as um, Joel and his brother um, on horses are riding through the forest towards uh, towards a sunrise. Mm. Or Ellie is sat at her desk drawing uh, a picture of an animal. So it's not establishing the scene for you in any way. It's just delivering you the dialogue. It's delivering you the dialogue and any on-screen and, like, sound text. Effects, and or... I... I will say to its credit, the game does a good, uh, a very good job with um, foley work and its sound design, and you can usually pick up the tone of what's going on. Like, I can hear that, like, we're outside. I can hear that there is no bad weather right now. I can hear, you know, I there's enough context clues that you can start building a picture. Right. But it would be it would be very helpful to just have like a little bit of scene establishing, like, here is the context cutscene goes. Uh, and that's that's one thing that it, it would really benefit from. And there is certainly something lost by not having that, but 
I have to give this game credit for the fact that it is remarkably playable without any visual input, which is which is fantastic. On top of that, some of the accessibility features in there, like just generally, are ones that I'm going to be using through my playthrough. Um, high contrast mode is wonderful. Uh, once you set it, it's I think a left swipe on the touchpad. And it just turns the whole world to grayscale, except for you and anyone that's on your team is blue, and any enemies are red, and I think pickups are yellow. Um, and in particularly dark, complicated scenes, it's just been so nice to flick it on for a second and go, oh, okay, I can see what's going on. Put it back off. You've got the info you need. Every video game, please. I know, right? Yeah. Every video game, please. Yep. Uh, and the other one is, uh, and it's part of the one that's from that that um, vision preset, is left click to just point me in the direction of where, where the plot is. Because if you find that you're just like, I just can't work out how to progress, click a button, it'll just do an arrow and go, oh, over there. That's that's roughly where you're supposed to be heading. Yeah, I generally think that that should be a standard in yeah. any sort of third person or first person exploration title too. That's, yeah. Yeah. But... Gosh, no. I spent so long messing around with those uh, accessibility menus today, and they are... Like, say what you will about the rest of the game and about Naughty Dog as a studio that employs ludicrous amounts of crunch and, you know, the various various complaints that could be levied against them and their games. I can't deny that they have done something really impressive here with this game on an accessibility front. It, it is a damn impressive game. So yeah. Other than that, it's just a lot of murdering people. Yeah, that's and that's the part that I don't have any whole, you know, real <laughs> interest in. You know, it, it keeps. I, I, there's some, you know, uh, reviews uh, and snippets I've read, and everybody just talks about what a miserable experience it is, and then gives it a ten out of ten, and that's fine. Like, I don't have a problem squaring those two things. I don't yeah. think every game <sighs> needs to be fun or make you feel good or... Well, when you've, when you've been in games media as long as we have, <laughs> you, you know how it goes by now. Certain mm. games, certain studio, 10 out of 10s, about two weeks from now, we'll be getting... Was this really such a good idea? Was this such a good game, really? Is this overrated? I will say, there have been some some reviews already that have been on that side. I think Polygons was very like, hey... Yeah, Polygons was pretty critical of uh, what it determined were the goals of the game and how well it achieved them. I'm, I'm going to be real vague about something, and we can cycle back to it maybe next week, but... I and I don't I don't mind saying this now because I've got the game in my hands. Um there there were a lot of people who tweeted me about this game when the leaks for it happened and I couldn't avoid knowing certain things about this game and I will say if you think the critic discourse this week has been something ooh just wait for the discourse that's going to pop up in a week or two when certain segments of the internet play this game. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I will I will say that. I would I, I there is a very interesting conversation to be had about this game that that now is not the time for, but maybe once people have had a chance to get their hands on it themselves there that this game is going to be divisive in ways that critics are not allowed to talk about at the second. Which is itself an issue. It is, it is. Um, mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, here's the thing. I, I'm not giving like full review thoughts at this moment and next week I'll, I'll, you know, chat about it. It's not like I'm writing a review and going, you know, well, I won't talk about that though. 
I think a big part of the reason you've seen a lot of reviews sort of give tens that they've not really talked about the why. I mm, the the review embargo on this game for people who are tr- who were trying to hit embargo is weirdly limiting on what people can talk about. Well, yeah, it's, I, I think I heard somebody talking about like the second half of the game is just verboten uh, or something like that. I'll I'll put it I'll put it this way. Um. They have a narrative moment in this game that they really don't want people to know about until they play the game. And they have structured their review embargo guidelines to prevent people talking about that narrative moment, but inadvertently really ham-fisted, like, have really limited the discourse that that game can have before launch. And we're all expecting something now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I'm pretty sure I remember back in the day. Um, there was reviews editor back then, and I'm pretty sure. At no point did we hear anything about um, embargoes on Arkham Asylum. Yeah. With the Scarecrow stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, leaks are a, a thing now, but, I mean, that alone is a reason not to be, like, this tight-lipped about it, because it's just going to build up... It's just going to build up too much, yeah. And no one would would it. No one would be thinking about oh something's coming if they'd have just like not made a big deal. I mean, this is like basic Streisand effect shit. Like, right, but they also want something to be coming because they want the buzz, yeah. they want the sales. So it, it's exactly what they want. I, I recognize that to a certain degree, I'm playing into the system here, but like, I I I will say as much as. I probably wouldn't have agreed to this review embargo had I been trying to get, like, a formal review done for the review embargo, because the things it limits discussion of, I can see why it's made reviews of this game a weird thing. Yeah, it's 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 cut all the reviews feet out from under them. I'm, I'm a lot more in- interested in the conversations we're going to have, like, next week than the ones we're having right now. Which is part of this whole, you know, the reviews come out, they can't be all that critical, they get these, you know, these high scores, and then we start getting the counterpoint think pieces and the deeper analysis. It's like, they they oh, they want to get the buzz out the gate first, and I talked about this in a Jimquisition on spoiler culture, how they... They contrive Mystique to like just get everyone yeah. to rush out and buy the game so they don't get spoiled. And I've spoken to some people who've given that game very good review scores. I've spoken to them, you know, off 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 record because you know embargoes. But I mean, for some of those reviews, if the embargo was less strict, they could better have explained like. Hey, here's things I couldn't talk about that are the things that justify why I gave this attempt. Which is ridiculous. That's a weird situation for anyone to be in of, I feel the need to give this a 10, but I can't explain why uh, why it's great because the company won't let me tell you why it's good. It sounds like, like the message they want before the game's available to buy is, it's got lots of killing in and graphics pretty and 10 out of 10. Don't think about the rest of it. Don't think about anything other than the bare bones and then the number. I wish that they're... Like, if people who freak out about games press, if they were right about the amount of power that they think the games press has, <laughs> I would, like, the, the solution to this situ- whole situation is when you get an embargo like that, you say, no thanks, I'll wait until release to publish my thoughts. That's the thing, like, I accepted this embargo because it's like, well, 
the piece of coverage I want to do is not really about the game as a whole, and it's going to go up once the game's out. I just wanted a few days extra to catch footage. You know, but like, yeah. The system's in such a way that you can't wait to do your review on, you know, a two days after release, especially when they've had pre-release reviews at every major outlet a week in advance. Oh, yeah, no one's going to click them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but you're only shooting yourself in the foot, but it's also the only way that you could really produce a legitimate criticism. And it's incredibly this frustrating. This has been true since we started. Oh, absolutely. You know, you and I got our start in like the mid 2000s or whatever. And it's, it, the, we're having the exact same conversations about yeah. reviews we had back then. I remember the embargo for Metal Gear Solid 4. Konami did the very same thing. There was a, a shocking amount that they couldn't talk about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it amounted again to like half the game was off limits. And so they, they couldn't, the, the, at embargo reviews for Metal Gear Solid 4 were pointless. I think there are there are things worth saying about this ahead of launch. Like, I, I think it's worth, you know, saying, don't go into this expecting the same sort of, you're going through hell, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel narrative. It is definitely tonally darker than that. Sure. It's worth talking about the accessibility stuff. But, like, the, the, the conversations about the narrative that I want to have... I'm not going to have those for a couple of weeks because, yeah. you know... And here's the thing. When it comes to spoiling things, the majority of like professional reviewers who, pu who publishers should be working with know where the line is on that. Oh. They're good at yeah. their jobs. And it should be their fucking job to decide that. Yeah. And if you're going to limit you know, press availability in the first place then you identify those people who are capable of doing that and that's who you provide access to. And then you don't have to lean on some ridiculous embargo. Yeah. But that would require a lot more research and work too, so... Yes. And and, and the, the relinquishing of more control, which... Yeah. Mm, mm -hmm. Not ideal for, for them from their perspective. Mm. Stay on message. You know, don't yeah. have any wild cards. I like I like that the 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 there's 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 ga there's guys in in the last of us two. There you go. There's guys. Good, like graphics, there's good graphics. Good graphics. Good guys. Shooting. Ten out of ten. <laughs> it's. Wish I could tell you why. Wish I could tell you why. <laughs> uh, but rest assured, it's as good as Gremlins Two, the new batch. Yeah. When we stop recording, like. Comrade, if you're not interested in playing it, I might just tell you. I might just tell not. you what 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 the thing is that's causing the whole tizzy, because that's a whole thing. But <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, I'm gonna play it just because I feel like having a what sounds like a ghastly time. Sounds like it's a good game, but it sounds like it's a ghastly time. Well, it's it's a fantastically made game that that is gonna spend twenty hours reveling in every time someone has a miserable experience and tries to get their own back. It gives someone else a miserable experience and the world just gets worse and worse. I would like to see a post-apocalyptic or certainly post-societal game where it's just basically fine. Where, like, we're not all that fucking stupid and, like, we don't need, like, so much enforcement going on. Like, cops. <sighs> I just... Yeah. I, I, guess, I guess from my point of view, I... I... 
I totally can see why people would have an interest in playing something like that. And I am definitely not someone who is super into escapism as a concept for why I'm attracted to video games. But this sounds a lot like my life on a metaphorical level. I just don't like how like every single game and show like this basically says, oh, the, the moment that like, there aren't no companies around and there aren't no like proper jobs. Like well, we say a proper jobs, like it all goes to hell. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who else played a game this week now that I've monopolized a lot of the episode? <laughs> I, I've been playing a bunch of the stuff in that bundle that raised eight million fucking dollars. Yep, and it exploded in size beyond where it was. It's now over 2,000 games. It's over 2,000? God damn it. Yeah, no, it's doubled since last week. I I mean, I don't mean to complain or sound (laughs) upset about that. I mean, for the next few months, every week on this show, I'm going to be like, well, I played some more games from that that, that, that racial justice bundle. Uh, uh, That's... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I'm not going to waste anybody's time with the stuff that is crap, at least, you know, or the stuff that I'm not into at all. So that's cool. But I played Beacon. Tell us about Beacon. Beacon's cool. Uh, It's a top-down dual stick roguelike thing where its sort of central hook is that your character is a series, uh, a progressive series of clones uh, trying to reach an objective. And so in between runs, you take DNA that you've collected as pickups through other runs that will affect stats and you rebuild your clone. And there are different, you know, types of DNA. Mm-hmm. And so you can make chains connecting them, which will give you bonuses. And then you can apply additional mods to them. Um, and it's really flexible seeming, but really limiting in that you only get what you pick up and you only get access to the things that you've picked up for that next run. So you can't save anything. Anything you don't use gets converted into experience that then unlocks new weapons and items for use in the game. It's fun. It it deceived me. I had a really good first run. A really good first (laughs) run where I made it 80% of the way through the game. And then subsequent runs... Okay, the difficulty, I happen to get some good weapons early on, and it's it's settled into a thing, it's challenging, and uh, one of those games where it's occasionally surprising, like, oh shit, I've suddenly taken a lot more damage than I realized. Um, it's cool, it's fun, I like it, it looks neat, um, it, it's one of the more um, visually a lot of shit going on games I've seen in the bundle. Yeah. So that's fun. Uh, I also played Night of the Consumers a bit. Um, I have a real attraction to the idea of games that are based in retail simulators. Mm. Um, I have, I've always had ideas for games that I would like to make that are rooted in retail sim. And uh, Night of the Consumers is sort of a horror game where you are trying to restock shelves. Uh, but if you're spotted by customers... They will come and make requests of you Ah. and, you know, like to take them to another specific aisle. 
and they'll, ta- they'll tell you, you know, I want to go to the pet aisle. Well, you'll have to look at the signs and eventually build up a memory as to where everything is in the store to get them there. And if you don't get there quickly enough, they'll complain to the manager and then you're fired and it's game over. Um, you don't restock enough of the shelves, you're fired, it's game over. And it's horrifying because the characters are these very blocky, very blocky, like digitized pixel art mm-hmm. um, uh, textures. They're hideous. Horrifying. Um, I don't know that I'm going to play more of it <laughs> because it's <laughs> Is a it bit too scary for me. Yeah, it might be a bit too scary for me. Um, but it's 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 not really scary. It's just I it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's got a Five Nights of Freddy vibe. I struggle with games like that because I get too panicky. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but I don't, you know, I do think it's pretty pretty funny and and kind of it's a good concept. It's just more pressure than I want uh from something like that. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh, speak, but but on the other side, I played uh, Golf Peaks. Oh yeah, and that is cute as hell. It's a very very simple um, puzzle game based in golf, where you have a grid and you get cards that um, indicate what movement will be when you know you've selected and moved the ball, and then you get to pick which direction the ball moves in, one of four directions on this grid. And the movement can be, you know, moving one, two, or three spaces down the grid, or uh, hopping for one or two spaces, and then rolling, or hopping and stopping. And then you have environmental squares that will do things like stop your ball's in you know movement, or if the ball stops there, then you'll lose the ball. Um, stuff like that. So there's a lot of inventiveness. I've gotten about a third of the way through it. Um, and it's just relaxing and fun and visually simple, but appealing. Uh, I like it. It's, it's neat. It's very chill. I will probably go back and try to figure out why I couldn't get past that one level. Um, it's fun. Nice. So yeah, golf peaks. Uh, I played a bit more of a game that I mentioned last week that was in that bundle. Um, I played some more mm-hmm. Democratic Socialist Simulator. Ah. Uh, the more of it I play, the more clear it becomes what the intended message of that game is. And I think it's pretty well put across with its whole um, trying to enact policies for social good within a system of uh, capitalism, which is it is impossible to get to a world that serves the people properly entirely through the existing structure system. Hmm. Or not not impossible, but it's the system that we currently exist in and the the way that power is controlled very much makes it difficult, very, very difficult, to enact one after another things that make things better for people without feeling the pressure to do things that you know are bad for people in order to justify the capitalist cost of the things that you need to do to make people's lives better. It's very much a game about being very, very critical of the fact that social reform needs things outside of outside of the current structure of budgets and bills and laws if it's going to happen, because inside that structure there will always be a pull to not quite go after exactly what you think is right for people or what what the people are asking for. It's an interesting game. It's, you know, compromise. Yeah. 
on on human values. Yeah. It it is very much a game of spending lots of time going, I know this it's like it's when you've got a situation like, hey, I can afford to put through, you know, something like a single payer healthcare system, but if I do that without raising some money from somewhere first, I'm not going to make it through re-election and the Republicans are going to use this or the, the right wing are going to use this as their chance to just swoop back in because they'll go, ah, oh, you fucking bankrupted the economy. And you start looking at things like, it's like, well, how how bad is the the oil industry? Like, can we just, can we just <laughs> leave? It, you start going like, can we just leave them doing their thing because they're giving us money so that I can afford to do this other thing? Even though I really should be, you know getting rid of them and moving us over to renewable, but, like, they give us money and that would pay for this thing, and compromising your own ideals. <laughs> they should have an easy mode, but call it, like, 2020 mode, where there is no, like, moral choice. It's just yes to all of the ones that give you money. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I have I have stuck with it a bit, and I have I've still not had a successful run, but I've I've had an interesting time with it. That one does sound good. Yeah, it's 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 well worth giving a look. What about you, Jim? What have you been playing this week, other than other than that one that we didn't count as a video game, apparently? Other than Visceral's death now, um, I played Cult Canyon. It's a game with a cowboy in it. Thank you very much. Okay, mm. it's a it's a roguelike. Mm-hmm. With a sort of shooter, it's interesting. It's it's a shooter, but ammo is very limited. But you do have a very powerful dodge and melee attack that, if they don't spot you, it's a one hit kill for most things. If they see you, it's piss weak and ineffective. Um, so it's this nice little balance between knowing when to shoot and when to sneak about. Um, individually, enemy AI isn't all that much to write home about, but inevitably you get into little situations where a whole bunch get drawn to a, a, a noisy fight and then you've got to sort of fight them all off. Um, uh, which is usually a big waste of ammo, but there's a lot of... There are barrels and boxes everywhere, and you're encouraged to smash everything to collect as much ammo as possible. Um, but other than that, it's it's just a... It's got a, a cute little Atari-esque visual style um, mm-hmm. with which everything is really clearly labelled. You know exactly where ammo is on the ground. You know exactly what the enemies are, um, where they are behind things, uh, behind bits of terrain that would otherwise hide them. Everything is very clear with a very limited colour scheme. Um, so there's no... I mean... The first three times I found an explosive barrel, I didn't pay attention. But now I know what they look like. It's the ones that are very clearly, obviously exploding barrels. So <laughs> if you play the game, be aware of that. Don't make, don't, don't make the rookie but understandable mistake that I made. Um, you get different characters to unlock, and uh, the more you play with each one, they've got uh, a whole range of starting guns that you can... Uh, unlock to use for them. You can pick up guns out in the the map. There are upgrades like you would expect in a roguelike. In each uh, map, there is a someone usually tied to a a stake or hidden, uh, trapped in a coffin, uh, surrounded by um, 
you know, bandits or what have you, and then you rescue them and they give you an upgrade. Um, usually simple things like improve your movement speed or the amount of ammo you can carry. Um, most of the time they will also offer themselves as an upgrade so that they can fight with you and you can give them one of your guns. Um, so that's interesting. You can build um, a little army that way if you go on it, uh, long enough and choose those as the upgrades. And some of them will offer upgrades that make those followers even better, or e at least easier to babysit. Um, or you can just beef up the, the character themselves. So it's it's a lot of fun. I haven't gotten past the first boss yet. Yeah, he's surrounded by fucking minions. Um, I hate that most of the time. But it feels like, it feels like it's doable, so... So I've been having a lot of fun with that. This definitely looks like my jam, yeah. I think you'd enjoy it. I think I really could get into this, yeah. It sounds, it, it looks like exactly something you would stream, Conrad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would recommend it for you. It, it, it is a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's, it's not super um, complicated, but it's... Sure. It's very playable in, in like capital P playable. The kind of thing where it's, you could just pick it up and easily waste an hour on it without thinking. Yeah. Or if you've just, you know, you just want to play something for like 20 minutes before you've got something else to do. It suits that purpose too. And I got it on the Switch and I, a lot of roguelikes for me work really well on that. Um, but I believe it's, you know, available everywhere pretty much. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I would recommend that for a lot of people who like their roguelikes or roguelites or whatever you want to call them. Um, it's a good one. It's, it's, it's a pretty damn good one. And I'm, I'm very fond of those games overall. So, you know, for what that's worth, uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. On on that that vein, I've I've fallen real back down the uh, Binding of Isaac rabbit hole this week. I saw you on on the Switch. I was playing. Yeah, yeah I was playing uh, Cult Canyon, and then yes. your your name popped up, and uh, you're playing Isaac. Yeah, I've gotten really into playing. Uh, I've I've been really enjoying greed mode runs with Lilith, who. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, for anyone listening who who doesn't know this character, her whole gimmick is. Where other characters shoot uh, tears out of themselves, she has like these uh, familiars that follow her around and, and shoot, but they're sort of offset. So you have to sort of walk slightly past what you're aiming at in order to hit things. Um, and the reason I love playing with her on greed mode is she's got this item that every four rooms will um, basically double up her uh, her familiars, so like double uh, increasing the damage steadily and the number of projectiles being thrown out. Which, on a regular run, obviously, like these these summons these extra summons only last until you leave the room. But waves of enemies coming at you. As long as you don't leave the room, you could just do all the 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 uh, the rounds back to back yeah. and get a bunch of summons. In greed mode, the waves work like rooms in the normal mode. Yeah. So every wave, you get a charge on the thing. Yeah, you get a charge on the thing, but you don't lose the stuff because you've not left the room. Yeah. yeah. And so by the end of it... Oh, she, if you have a good run with Lilith, it gets ridiculous to the point that like I've had one or two runs where th the switch was straining under my uh, my build. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, the, the best thing about that that item is it applies to all familiars yes. that, that a character mm -hmm. has. So Lilith starts with the, the, I forget if it's Succubus or Incubus, it's named one of them, yeah. that, that just shoots sort of 
tiers, replicates regular yeah. tiers. So you use the item when you've got one of those, you get two of those. You're shooting two lots of tiers. But if you've collected, you know, a, a baby that spawns flies, other ones that yeah. shoot projectiles, they all double. And then when you you get enough, you do four waves, they all triple. It's yeah. yeah. And there's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of really interesting stuff that can spawn into. Like Obviously, stuff like uh, the Super Meat Boy, which is usually really... Uh, but getting the Meat Cube into Super Meat Boy is usually really difficult. But in this, yeah, you can probably get that done if you pick the Meat Cube up. Um, there's there's stuff like... The, the best one is the Battery Buddy, mm-hmm. which will occasionally, occasionally over time spawn entire full batteries you can pick up. And every time it spawns a full battery, you pick it up, use it, you've now got an extra battery buddy, you're now considerably more likely to get a free battery to get another battery buddy. And once you've got a few of those going, like, you you can have some ridiculous builds. Mm-hmm. The other one I've been having fun with is Az- Az- Azazel? Azazel. Azazel, um, who has very short range but very powerful um, brimstone, is it called? The big laser he does yep. from his mouth? I've been having a lot of fun finding weird things that you can use to kind of fuck around with with the properties of that laser without diminishing its its damage output. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite one is there's one that turn uh, that creates a big circle that you control independently of your character. I forget what it's called. The Ludovico technique. Yes, the Ludovico. Um, the Ludovico, when paired with Brimstone. Is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it, it's it a can, good laugh. It counteracts the entire downside of the character of them, you know, having to fight at close range, and just goes, "No, I'm going to stay away and do all the damage." And with Azazel flying, you yeah. can just like often park where nothing can get you. If you can park it over like a big gap and then just fly your big circle around doing all the murder. It's great. <laughs> so yeah, I've been getting back into Binding of Isaac. That's that's. It's a good game. I go, I go through waves of getting really into it. Same here, yeah. Like, every every so often, I'll just get really super into it and then cool off. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyone else played anything else this week? I played Trover Saves the Universe. Oh, that's that Justin Roiland one, where he says many silly improvised sentences and whatnot. It was on Switch and part of the sale, so I thought, well, fuck it. Um, It's very clearly a VR game, which means playing it in a normal video game context, it makes it a shit game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've played that game through in its entirety in VR, and I've played a bit of it on Switch, and yeah, it's fucking night and day. Just If you're going to play it, play it on PlayStation VR or something. Yeah, like it's... It's all. I'm. 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 A, I'm. Um, I'm a fan of Rick and Morty. So I and I love Justin Roiland's like delivery style. So for just an excuse to listen to him, just sort of do his chattering bullshit that yeah. he does. That's quite fun. But I could just like bring up a, a commentary-free let's play on YouTube and and listen to Justin oh, Roiland go y- off on one. Yeah. Same. Uh, yeah. Oh, I do have a favourite character in that that I do enjoy there. Um, it, it's the it's the person who wants you to help them move house. Oh, right, yeah. I don't know if you got that far. Um, is, is it Mr. Pop-Up? I, I can't remember, but what, whatever their, their name is, the, the just sort of slightly Canadian twang to their voice that just 
Very, it tells you long, winding, nice stories while asking you to help move their boxes. Oh, okay, now I think I'm thinking of someone else. No, you probably, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, Mr. Pop-Up gets into a dispute over houses with someone else. Oh, Mr. Pop-Up, sorry, I've just heard who you meant. Yeah, no, yeah, this is after Mr. Pop-Up. Yeah. I played a a little thing um, also in that bundle that I I did want to mention called Eat Girl. Okay. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I will I, if you insist, but yeah, it it was a, uh, it's a dot muncher, and I'm like, oh, cool. You know, I like Pac-Man maze game stuff. That looks like. But what's interesting about this is, you know, like in Pac-Man, over time as you play, the game gets faster. Instead, Eat Girl just makes that speed increase part of the character's momentum. So mm. as Eat girl moves, she builds up speed, and you can maintain that momentum by timing when you turn corners. Otherwise, she'll bump into the wall and stop. And it's a one button and directional game, and the button stops Eat Girl from moving. And so, but it doesn't cause you to lose the momentum. So when you release the oh. button, you continue to go fast. And I didn't play a lot of it, uh, but it's structure it's it's level design structure is interesting because it has a, a an overworld map that ha- is connecting various nodes that have stages inside them and then it's kind of like a pac-man championship edition type thing where you have to eat all the dots in the map and then it will redraw new dots into the map that you then have to eat uh, and you do that like three times per level and there are various different types of enemies that crop up and and so they're all very distinct puzzly type things uh, which are cool but then the overworld itself has you know multiple routes that you could travel down and explore through and wh- the coolest thing that happened to me it was just Eventually, I would have learned this, but it it doesn't really tell you anything about how its mechanics work. It's very driven by self-discovery. And as I was just sort of wandering back to the beginning of the map again, um, just to see if there were any other paths I hadn't seen or something, I found these blocks that were different shape than the normal wall wall, wall tiles and uh, colored differently. And you can break them if you have enough momentum. Oh. And it opens up different areas. But right above that at that starting area, now there's another block that is the same visual style, different color. And I can't yet produce the momentum because I'm clearly going to have to break through that at some point. And so I'm I'm already seeing how it's introducing these ideas. I'm still very early in, but it's a really cool... Uh, dot muncher type game if you have any attraction to that sort of thing uh it's a it's a neat twist on it that sounds really interesting mm. yeah it's cool yeah anyway sorry. some news just broke oh really that that is relevant to laura yeah i don't know you you may have heard of this but it like just broke and there's a new pokemon snap game happening oh yes oh yeah yeah pokemon yeah so i was gonna say pokemon did a direct today and the news in it like varied wildly so yeah new pokemon snap that's great they've not really explained they've been really vague about it it's unclear if it's a remake of like a remake of the original with new pokemon thrown in or if it is a ground up new game uh but it looked very pretty in the the very short bit of footage they did and even if it is just a souped up hd port 
I'll take it because I fucking love Pokemon Snap. Mm-hmm. They announced other things as well. They announced Pokemon Smile. Did you catch this, Jim? Is that where you're playing Pokemon Snap from the perspective of the Pokemon being photographed? <laughs> I I wish it was. Um, Pokemon have developed a smartphone app for kids to teach them to brush their teeth. Oh, that's going to be perfect for getting them into the facial recognition systems early. <laughs> uh, wow. So... the. At the very least, I I, I shouldn't be giving them credit for this because this is the most basic fucking thing you could ask for. Zero microtransactions of any kind because, thank God, don't put fucking microtransactions in a thing designed to teach kids to brush their teeth. No, it's always fucking vile. No, okay, but no, but where's the money coming from then? Big Colgate. Not even toothpaste. Big Colgate, which is different from small business Colgate. My... My best guess is the money is coming from get you invested in this brand so you buy Pokemon products Mm -hmm. as you grow. I mean, they're always... Yeah, Nintendo does like to sort of do that. It it, it can view releases... I mean, it it did that with the mobile stuff. It viewed a lot of its mobile gaming as just commercials. That's true. Although they did put shitty microtransactions in a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, there was there's some other newsy bits this week. PlayStation Five reveal. Oh, I played a free game though. Talking of free, you played a free game. Tell us about that free game that was just free and on the Switch. The that jump rope game. I don't know if either of you have heard of that. Oh, the uh, the Nintendo published one. Yeah, I jumped up and down. That's cool. I'm not ashamed to admit it. It's a fun little fucking thing. Like, it was completely free. It's only available till, like, September, I think. Um, it's just a little cartoon rabbit. You can put... A, there's a small range of clothes you can pop it in. It's got a jump rope. You hold the Wii remotes in each hand, and you uh, just jump up and down. Um, if you're... You know, if you've got uh, issues with that, you can sort of crouch up and down. Like, it's... You can even just wave your arms up and down if you want. So if if... If, if that's, you know, if you've got mobility issues, you can engage with it that way. Or you could just cheat. But it, this is that kind of thing where you really would be not only cheating the game, but cheating yourself. Because <laughs> it's designed for you to jump up and down or, you know, do something exercise wise. So I did it yesterday thinking I'm going to do this every day. And today I'm like, maybe. <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's a cute little thing. And I'm, I'm very charmed that they just... They just popped up this very free game where where they just encourage you to jump via rabbit technology. I Yeah, it does seem to be just, hey, look, we realise lots of you are stuck at home. Here's a thing to help try and gamify and encourage exercise. I'm like, yeah, you know, okay, Nintendo, sure. I'll take your cute, adorable things that are designed to try and make us live better lives. Considering no brands attached to it, and and it, you know there is still good marketing in they threw out this little cute yeah, free thing, sure. but it's the least cynical thing I've ever seen from a, a game company, or one of the least cynical things I've ever seen from a game company. It's just oh here, have a jump rope game. <laughs> yeah, and it's not trying to sell you a different game. It's not got any microtransactions. Yeah, it's not branded. There's no ads. It's just they did a, a cute thing. Which is valuable in its own way from a you know brand perspective, but yeah, they, they there's nothing shady attached. And I mean that's that's what leads me to think maybe maybe it's possible there wasn't shady intent behind Pokemon brush your teeth. Maybe 
I don't trust Pokemon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they want to get you attached to those cute little monsters so that you want to play Pokemon Go. I trust the jump rope rabbit. I trust the jump yeah. rope rabbit, and I trust the little budgie that was on the voice recorder on the 3DS. But that's it. <laughs> those are the only things I trust ever. I mean, I'm not just talking about video games. I'm talking about, like, people. Uh, Conrad could tell me something right now. But I would be less believing of him. He'd have to consult the budgie. That's that's all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If 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 he told me one thing and that budgie told me another, I'm betting on the budgie. Always bet on the Nintendo budgie. Comrade, here's the secret. You want to get Jim to trust something. You just tell it to the budgie so the budgie oh, will yeah. tell it back. Yep, that's it. Don't yep. you corrupt the budgie. Don't you... <laughs> Don't you do to the to the budgie what Alanis Morissette did to wide-eyed idealism. <laughs> um so oh So but the PS5 reveal, yeah, oh, yeah. The PS5 reveal was good. PS5 reveal happened. Uh did did either of you did you watch that through? I did. I did. The big reveal of Avengers Tower. <laughs> What'd you, what'd you both make of it? Yeah, I think the hardware's goofy looking, but fine. Yeah. I mean, it looks like what a lot of shit looks like now, so fine. I don't mind the look. I just dislike the fact that it won't sit neatly, flatly on its side. Yeah. I, I want a thing with one flat side that I can place down. Me too. Yeah, my TV stand is not designed for something that's going to stand upright at all times. Yeah. But I think I think it can sit on its side. Like, they, they wouldn't have designed it that it can't. It's just going to have, like, a little bit of gap underneath. It requires a stand, and it looks a bit goofy when it's on its side. There are pictures of it on its side, and it doesn't look good, but it uh, can be on its yeah, side. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to give it a cherry finish so that it fucking fits with everything else, so... I don't give a shit what it looks like. I've got work to do. I was thinking I might have to spray mine, yeah. It's going to stand out like a sore thumb. I don't have room for anything white in my like entertainment setup it'd be ridiculous yeah i mean we say that but you know we all had xbox 360s 10 years ago so that was beige though <laughs> i make an exception for beige it was just beige after a couple of weeks dude there's a, there's a couple of things i think they dropped the ball on a little with that presentation like they really messed up the the handling of how to tell people what that spider-man miles morales was yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with the whole like, ah, oh, we'll open the show with this. Oh shit, a full sequel to Spider-Man as a launch title. Oh, well, they didn't open the show with that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they opened <laughs> with GTA 5 PS4 footage. Yeah. GTA 5 by the way is itself a Nintendo mobile app in that it is designed to sell the thing they're really selling yeah, yeah, which, which is, is gta online gta online is the the key thing but they didn't do a trailer for it they were like hey you'll get gta online for free on ps5 it'll just be for free that's but also here's a ps4 footage of the base game if you want that. it was so it was such a strange way to open things. It was. I I, I want to know. Am I, the only thing I'm thinking about in regards to that is that's not an accident. It's not a mistake. There's a reason. So what did Strauss Zelnick do to get his flagship product leading ahead of the reveal of that console. I, 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 I'm thinking about this in a very different way. So you're Sony, 
and Rockstar go, hey, do you want to be able to say that our big game, the biggest game in the world that everyone fucking loves is on your next console? We don't have footage of it on the PS5, but like, do you want it? And Sony goes, I mean, if we're, I mean, sure, that will sell units, but let's put it up front because let's get it out of the way and then be able to have the screen that goes, everything's PS5 footage now. Sorry. Sorry that we had to show you PS4 for a second there. Let's not forget also the exceptionalist treatment that Rockstar gets in pretty much every aspect of its business. Like, anybody else, that content is part of the montage of what you throw in in the middle to say, hey, by the way, we're going to have all this other stuff at launch. Oh, God, yeah. They only got away with it because they're Rockstar. Yeah, well, rock, Rockstar is Rockstar. You don't you don't bury Rockstar. They live their name. Uh, it's just it's just astounding. Yeah. But on the whole, I thought that the games that they showed off looked interesting. Obviously, light on gameplay, but what you know? They showed they showed video games that I would like to play, please. Yep. And they did so for an hour without much stopping. So well done them. They didn't show me the biggest generational leap of all time like they said they did what are you talking about bug snacks <laughs> uh, at last i can snack on bugs i i will say i think the one thing shown in that trailer that like i keep thinking back to as maybe representative of what makes the ps5 special is the tr- is the the gameplay and the trailer for ratchet and clank so i'm not a big ratchet and clank person but the speed at which they were loading between very high detail asset environments that were completely different in terms of the kind of assets they had. It was literally disorienting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you would not want to do that many jumps that quickly in gameplay, but it was a good showcase of, oh yeah, that felt like a game that was designed with the fact that it was going to have a really fast SSD in mind. This is this is like when Nintendo does like fucking Nintendo Land. It's oh shit, that's some cool hardware. Let's make a game that's based around what that hardware can do that shows it off. Yeah, and well, and it's it's such a subtle thing. Yeah, you know, because you have to actually think about what it's executing to accomplish what, frankly, doesn't seem that remarkable. At first glance, like it's cool looking, um, but like the first time it happened, I was just like, "Wait, what happened?" Was there a weird cut? Because it was so fast, it was just utterly yeah. instant. And then I thought, "Oh, I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna enjoy that. I'm I'm feeling it a little nauseous, but it's cool. Like it's super cool that they can get that level of detail, those textures to just." be there yeah and and that's the thing that has me like that's a very specific use case trying to jump between that many high detail environments that quickly but it's indicative of the potential well that's it it's if you can be doing that many jumps back to back in that short a period of time in like under two seconds to completely load in an entirely different environment of that scale like i'm mainly excited for what that means about just general games loading quickly like games that aren't trying to load in six different environments back to back like i i i'm very excited for the future where there is very little loading time anymore that's great i mean it'd be nice texture popping just reduces so significantly if you have access yeah. to that level of speed so yeah that's that's that was the main thing that was exciting to me out of that yeah um we, we we there was there was other cool looking trailers in there. There was a piece. I kind of wanted to mention the PC gaming show quickly 
which mm. in previous years at E3 has been like the one conference that I dread because it just... It's the PC cringe show. Yeah, yeah, it drags on. Um, the, the, year, uh, the last year I went to E3... Um, I sat in the front row of that with, I think, Jed Whitaker from Destructoid, and we sat and started a GoFundMe for comfy uh, for comfy cushions because the chairs were really uncomfortable in there. I fucking remember that night. I remember that night. I saw the photos and everything. Yeah, because we were so fucking bored in there. It was... It just... It was two hours that felt like six hours. And the worst part is you sat right up front. That rookie mistake. Oh, God, God, yeah, I know, you know. Because then everybody gets to see you leave. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was stuck there. But um, this year, I, they, they did a pre-recorded thing, because of course they did, because you kind of got to this year. It was the same length, but it felt so much better. Because edited interviews are so much less of a momentum killer in a presentation than... Attempts at live interviews. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is something we were chatting about before, man. But you look at live interview on TV, you know, like talk mm. talk shows, late night talk shows, things like that. That feels very natural and comfortable because they had a rehearsal a couple of hours yeah. prior and they did, yeah. they've done a run through of it. This is it's not you're not seeing something actually organic. Um, and so same same here, you know. Take advantage uh, if if you're not gonna have the time to do a run through rehearsal that hits all the beats of your interview and gets everyone comfortable. And frankly, you're not necessarily working with a, professional presenters in a lot of circumstances. Just do it edited and save everybody the heartache. Make make the people that you're trying to look good actually look as good as you can. Yep. It Agreed. If they if they stick with this, I might actually watch the PC gaming show again next year. And the other one that happened was uh, uh, Future, who are the the publisher who have PC Gamer under them, did something called the Future Gaming Show, which is basically the PC gaming show, but without being exclusively PC. Did they announce any layoffs? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they they did not on air, but I didn't stick around for the credits. Maybe they snuck them in there somewhere. The main criticism I had of that was twice they stopped announcements to have like five minute sidebars about things that are really basic in games that anyone who sat, sat to watch like a not E3 press conference probably doesn't doesn't need a five to ten minute explainer about what the concept of crossplay is mm. or a ten minute sizzle reel of developers going, I am excited for the next generation of consoles because they will have better graphics and better sound and faster loading. Fuck yeah. For 10 minutes. I love those things. I mean, I didn't need 10 minutes of it. By the way, speaking of that, can we can we all just acknowledge the stealth Nina Struthers that was in the PS5? Yeah. Mm -hmm, yep. <laughs> Reveal. That was very... Always... It is always good to see Nina Struthers. Always. <laughs> Uh, well, but you know, I, I also have to say that, that you really gotta hand it to Devolver. That's um, that's some energy that you could slip your fake spokesperson in, <laughs> right? As the last, uh, the last nod. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you're not gonna have your own Devolver thing this year, that was that was the next best thing. That was an impressive, like, aha, uh -huh, okay, well, we got this, we did that. And to not even make a joke of it. Yeah, no, to just... To just present Nina as just part of the reel was was great. Yeah. Uh, did anyone else have anything else they wanted to chat about, or are we, uh, we good to wrap up for the week? I think we could. Yeah. yeah. We're good, we're good. Ratchet and Clank look nice. 
It uh, is. Horizon Forbidden West looked very pretty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know. uh, I, I'm curious to, about whatever that thing Square Enix is making for when it comes out in 2027. Oh, projects thing. Well, they've yeah. got to get uh, parts two, three, and four of Final Fantasy Remake out first. Do they? I mean, I'm being sarcastic. Probably not. I imagine this will probably happen before Final Fantasy Remaster yeah. finishes. Yeah, I'm expecting that, uh, you know, two more console life cycles we might get <laughs> through Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. God. Right, well, I'm good to wrap up then. So am I. Yeah, all right, then let's do it. Laura. Me? People want to look at things, please. My things? Your things that you've put on the internet for people to have a good old read of and listen to and look at. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Every week. Every week. I know, I know. All the time. Never ceaseless. Uh, Laura K. Buzz in all the places. Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, all those kind of places. LauraKBuzz.com. Links to everything ends up on there. Um... I stream on Twitch Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. Uh, I have... uh, Every Friday, I upload a new episode of Access Ability, which is a show I do on YouTube that's edited by Justin, who edits the Jimquisition, where I talk about video game accessibility and representation. And wear a sick leather jacket. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's good look on it's you. It's a very good leather jacket. Uh, that leather jacket is hell under the fucking studio lights. I bet. It's, it's, I can manage about 30 minutes before I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to look terrible on camera if I keep going. Costumes under lights are brilliant. Oh, the, the worst idea. The worst. Yeah. Welcome to doing that every week. Yes, I know. Um... Uh, but yes, this Friday we've got an episode going up that is like in real big depth about the uh, Last of Us 2 accessibility stuff. Please check it out. I've been working really hard this week on getting that video ready. I'm real happy with how it's turning out. There's a bunch of other stuff. There's books, Uncomfortable Labels, that's out now. Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, that's coming out on February 4th. And at the end of this month, there is a uh, another LGBT-themed book that if you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen cover art discussions about and some some mock-ups for that i do podcasts as well um pixel squirt i talk about video game character pornography queer and pleasant strangers where i talk about things that aren't exclusively video games and dice funk which is a dungeons and dragons podcast each season's a self-contained story i'm on seasons three four five six and seven with Conrad, who's also on that show. I am also on that show, though I'm only on seasons five, six, and now seven. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda in the form of wearable buttons from me at pinfultruth.com. You can buy audiobooks from me at conradreads.com. And you can come hang out with me on Twitch. Uh, I'm on Twitch like three days a week, usually. Um, twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman and I do some other podcasts as well uh, Boston's Favorite Son with my good friend Jonathan and uh, my other good friend Jim and the spinoff Doctors which I man I meant to get that Sonic the Hedgehog script written this weekend did not happen but uh, very soon I, I, I'm not forgetting it um, and Jim you have a Patreon I think right Oh, yeah. It's very good I have a Patreon, because YouTube now is just deciding everything I do isn't suitable for advertisers. Oh, dear. Even though it's like, they give you a new self-flagging system, Mm. 
And everything I do is covered, like I looked it up, everything I do is covered under light profanity, which is fine for ads. Wait a minute, wait, hang on. Is it possible that the content that they find objectionable as advertisers might relate to uh, discussions of the nature of capital? No, I think it's stupider. Oh, okay. For example, one... The only reason I could think of for one of them was that I had the word destroys in the title. Oh, dear. And because of, you know, coronavirus and all that shit, they've already said that they they have barely any human reviewers. Well, shit, all of those people who talk about Ben Shapiro are going to lose tons of ad revenue. <laughs> well, I mean, all, I'm, all I know is... It's claiming all these things are reviewed by humans now and they're yeah. not, so you can't protest it. So it's it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd, um, which is, you know, one of many reasons why I'm glad that the vast majority of, um, you know, the, the money that the Jimquisition and that brings in and all of that is on Patreon, where YouTube can't fuck around with it. You know, then Patreon can fuck around with it instead. But they don't... There are fewer robots. Anyway, the point is it's patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Thank you very much. That's the end of my bit. Bye. See you next week. Yeah, <laughs> bye.